time for our second hour roundtable on America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. More talking truth about America. And good evening and welcome. And again, happy Mother's Day. At the very end of our show, I have a great Mother's Day little report. But I want to uh, do it at the top of the second hour, just do a cruise through the news. Kind of some stories that if I had two hours a day, I'd spend some time on each of them. But I want to quick hit these stories. First of all, we were talking when Lieutenant Colonel Alan West was here um, about the Obamacare repeal effort and how the House cobbled together a messy thing and the Senate's going to you know, take it apart and make a big mess. And I I just think it's it's so important to recognize it goes to the bigger question. Can we re-inspire Americans to want to be a free market economy? Can we re-inspire Americans to feel, to understand that health care is a commodity like anything else they buy? And health insurance is a commodity, like anything else they buy. Or have we, in just seven years of Obamacare, gotten us to the point where we really feel like we can't get Americans on track again to pursue a health care system that's free market? And, you know, there's two um, things I want to mention about that. One is there was a poll done recently, 1,500 people between the ages of 18 um, or 18 or older who were unemployed, and they were asked— about the repeal of Obamacare. And even those people, even unemployed people who you'd think would be, you know, maybe more inclined to have government programs care for them, even a majority of them said, please repeal Obamacare. Also a recent survey of small businesses, small business owners, and a majority of small business owners, same answer, please repeal Obamacare. It is truly breathtaking that the GOP in Washington can be aware it's failing, as Lieutenant Colonel Alan West pointed out so well. We have so many insurance companies who just, they can't function, they cannot they, they can't stay afloat under the Obamacare exchanges, so they're dropping out. Government-run health care is a mess, and so we have the Democrats, you know, knocking on the door saying, okay, time for socialized medicine, single payer, and there need to be more voices on the right saying, no, we can make a better system, a far better system. Get the government control back out of health care. Let government focus on the poorest Americans who cannot afford health care or health insurance and those with unique needs like pre-existing conditions. Deal with those narrow categories and let the free market insurance industry become revived. Let them become competitive again. And there are all sorts of data points if you were actually interested as a congressman or a senator in looking at them that encourage you. The American people are with you. Just get the message out there. Okay. Uh, beside that, the cruise through the news. I just think the story is very interesting and um, telling about where we stand. So there's a very funny comedian, Tim Allen. I always liked him. Uh, so in March, uh, comedian Tim Allen went on the late night talk show with Jimmy Kimmel. And he said, he, Tim Allen said, it's tough being conservative in Hollywood. You've got to be really careful around here. You get beat up if you don't believe what everyone believes. This is like the 30s in Germany. I don't know what happened. If you're not part of the group, they say, you know, what we believe is right. I go, well, I might have a problem with that. So he's been vocal in supporting Donald Trump and vocal being conservative. And lo and behold, ABC canceled his his um, hit sitcom, Last Man Standing. It's the third highest rated scripted show they have. Third highest, not a problem with audience, and they axed it. 
And, you know, they've got some business reason to blather on and on about, oh, yeah, it wasn't really because of anything he said. It was something about our negotiations with Fox and distribution contract. You know, you can't speak up in Hollywood. And Tim Allen is living evidence that. So that was one point I just thought, you know, but the answer is not to shut up. The answer is to speak up even more than you have. Another great little um, kind of cruise through the news um, story to understand. We talk about in America about wanting to be alert to the ra- threat of radical Islam, how the um, you know we want to be careful who comes here, what we permit in America, that we don't sh- permit Sharia law to be applied anywhere. So in Indonesia, in the country of Indonesia, a top Christian official, a Christian official has been sent to prison for blaspheming Islam. So he made a speech. He's running for some office. He wasn't even in the country. He went somewhere else, made a reference in a speech uh, to a passage in the Quran, which was viewed to be blasphemous because he was in some way criticizing the Quran or, or Muhammad, and got back home, and there were mobs demanding his arrest, mobs surrounding the courthouse, and he was convicted and sentenced to two years in prison. This is a country that's not even officially totally Muslim, Sharia government. And this is a country trying to push secular government as permissible. But the uh, Sharia adherents, the radical Muslims, were so overwhelming that in this, in this country, Indonesia, for blasphemy, a top official who was running for re-election got sent to prison. And so, you know, folks, they say that, you know, well, Obama or Trump's being too tough. We shouldn't, shouldn't pick on people coming here. This is the kind of thing that Sharia law brings. And I'll tell you something else to keep in mind before we get to the break, that every single Muslim group you've heard of in the world, every single one, what they have in common is Sharia. It's what every single terrorist group that's Muslim-based in the world has is Sharia. And that's why in America we're trying to be tough about not bringing it here. This is Debbie Georgias, America Can We Talk. I'll be right back. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit firstliberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's firstliberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to firstliberty.org now. 
Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. The National Center for Policy Analysis brings together the best and brightest minds to tackle the country's most difficult public policy problems in healthcare, taxes, retirement, education, energy, and now national security. The NCPA works to develop and promote private free market alternatives to government regulation and control, solving problems by relying on the strength of competition in the private sector. As America's think tank, the NCPA wants to make sure you have access to simple, clear solutions to the issues that matter to you. Come get to know the NCPA at one of their events and join the conversation by following them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. To get policy solutions delivered straight to your inbox, sign up for the NCPA free email newsletter or subscribe to one of their policy blogs. To get involved with America's Think Tank, go online today to ncpa.org. The NCPA would love your support and you'll love being part of the solutions to America's challenges. So go to ncpa.org. That's ncpa.org. And welcome back to American Coming Talk. And again, happy Mother's Day. Okay, I've decided I do these different stories about colleges and things happening college campuses. And people have been using the expression snowflake and just referring to college students being so um, easily offended or upset and needing a very, they, what they call a safe environment, meaning they don't have to hear any ideas that they don't like or might hurt their feelings. So we're going to call these a snowflake update. And it isn't just because these are stories. I mean, they are important stories, not just because they it's astonishing they're happening anywhere in the world or America's campuses, but that these young people who are engaging in this just 
uh, um, you know, infantile sense of the world that they are entitled to be free from uh, ever having their feelings hurt, feel from being feel free from being offended. They don't have that any ideas they don't like should be considered hate speech and and racist and all those other things. These people have to get out of college. Okay, somebody today in one of these colleges is probably going to be president of the United States someday. Someone's going to head up the FBI. Some of these people will be members of Congress and the Senate. These will be community leaders, and these people are being sheltered from grown-up life. They're being sheltered by their colleges from adulthood. I want to just run through a few stories, uh, which I think are simply um, breathtaking. Okay, one was Colorado University at Boulder. It was University of Colorado at Boulder. They call it CU Boulder. They have a new residence hall opening in the fall. And um, this residence hall is going to be called the Social Justice Living Environment. Social Justice Living Environment, the entire dorm is that. And in this, it's called Hallett Hall. It happens to be the name of the building. It'll be split into three living learning communities. One is for LGBTQIA-identified students and their allies, So all of this, you know, endless gender redefinition group is one group that is going to be living in this new living learning community. Another section of this special social justice living environment dorm, which will be opening in the fall, is going to be for students passionate about diversity. So, you know, just anyone who cares about diversity, I guess. The third one is for black identified students and their allies. So in this college campus where you go to be exposed to ideas, to meet new people, different from the small town you came from, different from your community, you may come from a community, a very homogenous community, and you come to college, you're supposed to meet a lot of different people and hear their ideas and share yours and hear people who are radical leftists and radical rightists and anything in the middle and hear people's different cultures. They are setting up a dorm for these snowflakes at CU Boulder so they can all live together in their social justice living environment and be completely detached from reality. Just imagine these people are are choosing a dorm where they can be surrounded by people who accept every one of their fairly left-wing whacked out ideas and that's this is a school, a taxpayer funded school. This is a taxpayer funded school. And they're humoring this versus saying, you know what? Come join the real world. You're 18. You're an adult now. You actually are out of your little cocoon of your home your parents raised you in, and you are in college. You need to get to know people. So they're going to, their description is, we hope to foster a community of diversity and communication, not only in Hallett, but all across campus. And they're going to have special activities. They already have a Spectrum LLC for LGBTQIA-identifying students, which they, in which they offer social and educational activities Focusing on community dialogue and support, gender neutral neutral bathrooms. Starting next year, they'll be joined by a Multicultural Perspectives LLC, featuring programs, initiatives, volunteer opportunities relating to social justice topics. And so they're going to have another one, another uh, section, a portion of one of these halls set aside specifically for those identifying with elements of the African and black diaspora and their community allies. And, you know, I don't care what these people at UC, or, you know, CU Boulder, Colorado, think they're doing. They're hurting these college students. They are protecting them from life, from 
actually examining their own views, actually examining their own worldview. They are treating them as as pathetic, helpless people who cannot possibly immerse in this experience able to deal with life. Okay, a similar thing, an Illinois college defends uh, courses only open to blacks. Just going to leave that there. Okay, another uh, example on this college campus is, and, and the reason I raise these, it is not to make fun of these people. I swear it's not. It's because I feel concerned about America. I mean, it's bad enough these students go there and think those things, but college, instead of the administration saying, sorry, but this is grown-up life, you can't do that, they're accommodating it, humoring it. Okay, here's another one. I kid you not. University of Wisconsin at Madison. So, I mean, it's a very, 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 very left-wing school, but still. It's a dangerous place, you see now, because they have they have something where they have urged students to report bias incidents, anything that seems to them to be bias. And so they submit reports and they investigate, of course, and some of them are really, they have a bias incident report that, um, you know, it could be something serious. But one student actually put in, and I'm not kidding, put in a complaint about when she went to the dining hall that the piece of toast she was given, French toast she was given by whoever was handing out the food, was burnt. I mean, she went to the dining hall and they gave her a piece of burnt toast. Here's her her report. It's nothing serious, but I feel I need to get this out of my mind, which some commentator said, yeah, you're out of your mind, all right. Around 2 p.m. on Friday, last Friday, I went to Gordon Market. Gordon Market is like an on-campus food thing, I guess. To grab some late lunch and got French toast from one of the male kitchen staffs there. I don't know why, but he gave me a clearly burnt piece of toast. Among all the other breads that were not burnt, I was so shocked I couldn't say anything and just accepted it. I am a female Asian student. Okay, I have to stop this. Okay, let's just assume that the male guy working at the hall didn't like her. And even if he didn't like her because she was Asian, let's assume he was a jerk. You know, and and so, okay, so what do you want a young woman to do? What should you be teaching young people? How about saying, hey, you know what, sister, speak up. Say, hey, you know what, I don't want that one. It's burnt. I'll take the other one. I mean, the idea that you would take the time to type out a an instant report to complain instead of just saying, hey, that's a burned one. It isn't like she said it happened every single day or every Monday when I go in, the same person who's there does this. This is a one-time thing. But this little snowflake, instead of learning to be an adult, speak up, is learning to write instant report and, and concluded with the complainant adds she's upset by it. She rarely witnesses this kind of behavior on campus and feels sad and hurt about it. Sad and hurt. Okay. Another incident at the same school, another complaint, incident complaint, had to do with a um a uh it was i think it was actually submitted by two uh, no it was by one student an asian american woman student who complained that there was a white female student that kept making glares at me and another student she glared at both of us and then continued to proceed on her phone so the student some other student was talking on her phone on her cell phone and a white student and looked over at these two uh, Asian women. I, I think that they're both Asian and, and glared at them. Okay. Maybe they were talking too loud. And she couldn't hear on the phone. Maybe she was talking about something embarrassing on the phone and she was annoyed that someone might've overheard her. But she says both me and the victim were Asian American women. I don't know if race played a part, 
Though this event was small and seemingly insignificant, it made me and the other victim feel unsafe, uncomfortable, and paranoid. We did not approach this person. She goes on to say, I kid you not, folks. She goes on to write, I don't feel safe on campus. I don't feel safe studying in an environment that should be inclusive and welcome to all. I wouldn't report this if it didn't have a significant impact on me. No kidding, folks. I mean, I tie these things honestly because we are just... We're just living in an era where we can't even we can't even comprehend that someone thought this would be an okay thing to write and to submit, and she didn't feel embarrassed. It's, you know, I, I mean, we just these are harmful things, and these are what else can I say? Harmful things. One other really big one, which uh, is a story has been covered for a while, but has come to a conclusion. A professor, a grown-up professor of theology at Duke University. Got something in the email talking about a racial equality institute training program. You know, some PC thing, PC thing you didn't like it very much, so you fired off an email to the other people in the email, uh, on the email chain, just saying, "Hey, you know." His comment was, um, "The thing <laughs> described this was likely to be intellectually flaccid. Criticized the program. This sounds idiotic. It won't be. It'll be bromides, cliches, and amen corner rah rahs and plenty. Illiberal ruths. Total. Anyway, he just criticized the program." So the head of the Divinity School reached out to him and said she, that he had to come and talk to her. He couldn't bring someone else with him because he wanted a witness there. He has been drummed out of Duke University. He will not comply with their discipline program for just challenging this seminar. And now he's been drummed out. He has to leave. Unbelievable. That was my snowflake update for today. Hey, we come back from the break. We have to head off to a break here, but we have a very cool interview. I'll start talking to you about it, and then we'll play it. I recorded a couple days ago with a guy who found the Jerusalem Institute for Justice. So cool. Don't go away. nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. 
If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are tens of thousands of Heritage members and supporters in North Texas alone. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates on the fight for America from Heritage President Jim DeMint, plus exclusive invitations to conservative events right here in Dallas or wherever you are in America. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. Okay, I went to the coolest event this week. It was a guy speaking named Caleb Myers, and he's the founder of the Jerusalem Institute for Justice. And I got a chance to interview him just a couple days ago. I'm going to play it in a second. Two things I want to call your attention to. One is what he talks about the BDS, the boycott, divest, and sanction uh, you know, effort against Israel. And the other one is about who really is hurting the Palestinian people. Take it away, Caleb. I just finished attending a meeting where the main speaker was Kalev Myers, and he is the founder in Israel of an organization called Jerusalem Institute for Justice. It was just the coolest meeting, so I want to have him tell you all about it. Hi, Kalev. Hi, Debbie. Thank you for having me on your show. Love it, and I just wish you'd start by telling what your organization in Israel is and what you're all about. So the Jerusalem Institute of Justice is an organization that advances civil rights uh, and, uh, and human rights and freedom of religion in Israel and also the surrounding territories. Um, we have been uh, challenging the Israeli government on uh, issues of freedom of religion for uh, about 15, the last 15 years um, and uh, helping Israel meet the standard of uh, our founding fathers who said that this would be a Jewish and democratic state. Uh, we also challenge the Palestinian leadership on the way that they're treating Palestinians. Um, what many people don't understand because of much of the 
propaganda in, in the international media is that the primary abuser of Palestinian human rights is actually their own leadership. Uh, the Hamas in Gaza and uh, the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank. So our organization systematically researches, documents, and exposes the abuse of Palestinian human rights by Hamas and the Palestinian Authority. Um, and we, we present those reports in different places around the world, but particularly to governments that are uh, supporting the Palestinian Authority. Um, the Palestinian leadership has received over the last uh, uh, 24 years since the signing of the Oslo Accords, over 31 billion dollars. So, <laughs> this is if you if you um, uh, even taking into account historic inflation rates, this is still more than 15 times per capita the amount of money received uh, from Europe after World War II under the Marshall Plan for the reconstruction of the European economy. In simple terms, with all the money given to the Palestinians over the last uh, 24 years, we could have reconstructed Europe's economy. 15 times. Why is the average Palestinian still living in abject poverty? Why, unlike the Marshall Plan, has there been no new industry, no jobs created, um, no new uh, c civilian infrastructure uh, laid? Uh, where has this money disappeared to? So we research these issues, present them before decision-making and funding governments around the world um, to try to help improve the lives of, of Palestinians on the ground um, instead of just condemning Israel all the time, which is really the only democracy in the Middle East. So where is all the money that's being donated from around the world to the Palestinian Authority if it's not going to build infrastructure, improve the lives of Palestinian citizens? Is it being used essentially for terrorism? Well, it's being used for a few things. Um, number one, when Yasser Arafat passed away, his own accountants declared $3.4 billion of cash sitting in his Swiss bank accounts. Uh, his predecessor, Mahmoud Abbas, is worth upwards of of a uh, billion dollars. Um, uh, the heads of Hamas, are, are they're all billionaires. So... They're they're using the, they're using the conflict um, as as a way to uh, become personally financially wealthy. Um, uh, some of the funding is also going to to support terrorists. You know, if you're if you're a Palestinian that tried to kill Israelis and you're sitting in an Israeli prison, you receive payments every month from the Palestinian Authority, um, and it ha it's a gradient scale. So it starts at uh, four hundred dollars a month for someone who's sitting in an Israeli prison for up to three years. If you carried out a more heinous crime, say murder, attempted murder, and you're sitting for 30 years or more, you'll receive $3,400 a month from the Palestinian Authority. It's about $100 million a year paid to people just for trying to kill Israelis, 100% funded by the international community. Um, it's something that the new United States administration, I know, has, is trying to put a spotlight on. Um, at least if you, if you follow the media, um, I understand that uh, President Trump, in, in a meeting with Mahmoud Abbas, the leader of the Palestinian Authority in Washington last week, said you really need to stop these payments to, to uh, the terrorists sitting in Israeli prisons. Um, I don't think that was taken uh, seriously yet, but I hope it will be. Um, but it's definitely, this money is definitely not going to actually improve the life of Palestinians. It's going to, uh, in an effort to destroy Israel. I want to loop back and talk about the BDS movement because it's very trendy in America. It's trendy in college campuses among, and with liberal, liberal faculty and administrators. And people think by supporting the BDS, which is boycott, divest, and sanction Israel, that they are therefore helping the Palestinian people. And you were saying a moment ago the Palestinian people are mostly poor because of their, their conduct of their own Palestinian leaders and not because of Israel's um, 
actions toward the Palestinian yes. people, which if more people knew that, that movement would die of its own foolishness. But you made a point when you were speaking, I wanted to have you share with our listeners, which had to do with if you're really upset about the Palestinian, the condition of the Palestinian people, what should you do about it? Yeah, I, I think what's really important, especially for your Christian uh, uh, listeners who believe in the biblical narrative, um, to support Israel, we should not hate the Palestinians. And to support the Palestinians, we should not hate Israelis. We should be for the improvement of the quality of life of both peoples on both sides of the conflict because both were created in God's image. So so why should we boycott either side? I want, I, I want economic development. I want prosperity for both Israelis and Palestinians. With economic development comes education. With education uh, it comes less of a tendency to, to uh, you know, believe the narrative of, of, of radical leaders that would, that would send youth to carry out terrorist attacks and all these other things. So we want both parties to, to succeed and, and to improve their lives. So we shouldn't be boycotting anyone. Christians should not be for boycotting anyone. Uh, added to that is just, just the fact that if you take the 350 million Muslims living in the Middle East, Less than 0.05% of them are living in democracy, and all of those are in Israel. So why would you boycott the only democracy in the Middle East, the only country in the Middle East that, I mean, we're, we, we are a Jewish state, but we've had, uh, and we have, uh, Arab Muslim judges in our courts, uh, in our Supreme Court. Uh, we had our Jewish president who was uh, caught for a certain crime, Moshe Katsav, sent to prison for several years. The judge who made that decision was an Arab Christian judge, who after making that decision was actually uh, promoted to be a Supreme Court justice. So we are a true functioning democracy. And the truth of the matter is that we've gone throughout the West Bank and also in Gaza and said, if a Palestinian state was to be created, where would you as a Palestinian prefer to be a citizen? In the state of Israel or the state of Palestine? And all of them gave us the same, same response. Same two responses. Number one, Israel, of course. Number two, please don't quote me, uh, because there's a, there's a type of intimidation and in, in, in fear of what their what their colleagues would think about this. But yeah, I, I think the idea of, of uh, boycotting Israel does not actually help the Palestinians, um, especially because there are around seventy thousand Palestinians in the West Bank. Where everybody says we need to, if we're, even if you're not going to boycott Israel, boycott the the the, the um, products coming out of the West Bank, out of these disputed territories. Excuse me, there's seven seventy thousand. Palestinians employed in these Jewish Israeli businesses in the West Bank. So what you're basically doing is saying, in order to help the Palestinians, I'm going to boycott these businesses so Palestinians lose their jobs. I mean, that's it. Just doesn't make any sense. And and really, if you're it's, if you're really looking for any logic behind it, it comes down to anti-Semitism. That that's it. Amen to that. I want to go back to one other thing you said in your talk today. And if you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Caleb Myers, who's the founder of the Jerusalem Institute for Justice. You talked about you personally having taken or made charges against Palestinian leaders for their conduct toward their own people in an international court. Can you explain that briefly, what you did? The International Criminal Court in The Hague was was created by uh, the Security Council of the United Nations as as a, a legal uh, instance, a legal forum in which you, you can bring dictators to trial who otherwise, I mean, by, by, by nature of being a dictator, you, they're not going to have any, any system, rule of law or independent court system that, get, that can try them within their own countries. So uh, for that reason, the International Criminal Court exists, where I, as an Israeli, 
can submit a lawsuit, a communication to the prosecutor of the criminal court asking them to prosecute um, Ismail Haniya, leader of Hamas in Gaza, for war crimes against his own citizens. They don't have any. If they were to speak up, they would be killed, right? So, so this is what we did a few months ago. We went to the International Criminal Court in The Hague. We asked them to prosecute Ismail Haniya because Haniya, who is head of Hamas today, in the last military engagement with Israel in 2014, he was personally responsible for the death of over 2,000 of his own citizens because he used people as human shields. When his militants would cross the street, they surround themselves with you know 14 children. He he would store weapons in in civilian infrastructure and in, in schools, hospitals, clinics, etc. And then of course use faulty weaponry and many times fire into his own citizens. All these are war crimes, and there has to be a way for people to be brought to justice. And so that's what we did because we really care about the Palestinians and and the way that they're suffering under their uh, this horrendous leadership. I just love that story. It just melts me. Okay, we have just about a minute left here. So if people are interested in knowing more about your organization, what you're trying to do, can you tell them how to find you? Yeah, very simply, you can go to our website at www.jij.org.il. Jerusalem Institute of Justice at J-I-J-O-R-G-I-L. Thank you. And people can contribute to help what you're doing, right? Absolutely. We can donate online. We have a 501c3 in the United States, so it would be tax deductible. And if you want to support us, we'd really appreciate that. Thank you. Caleb, thank you so much. Thank you, and blessings to you. And that was Caleb Meyer. Great interview. Love that event. And we come back. We're going to have our final segment, and we'll talk about Mother's Day. Don't go away. On August 2nd, 2006, Debbie Lee was notified that her son, Mark Allen Lee, had been killed, becoming the first Navy SEAL to lose his life in Iraq. She had no choice about the news that was given to her, but she did have a choice how she responded. In response to her son's amazing last letter, she founded America's Mighty Warriors to honor the sacrifices of our troops, the fallen, and their families by providing programs that improve quality of life, resiliency, and recovery. Whether America's Mighty Warriors is hosting retreats for families of the fallen, helping heroes heal who are struggling with traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress disorder, providing relaxation at the Heroes Hope Home, stepping in when an injustice is committed, or doing random acts of kindness. As Mark mentioned in his letter, they know the price of freedom and who pays it. Our troops and families of the fallen need your support. Visit americasmightywarriors.org today to learn more. That's americasmightywarriors.org. Hi, this is Debbie George Addis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. 
Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. There is a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers? It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. And welcome back to our final segment in the fastest two hours of my week every week. And um, so grateful you joined, tuned me, tuned in, and joined me tonight for America Can We Talk. I want to thank the sponsor of our show. Um, we are just so grateful for GC Works, which is a Dallas-based company that performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Very grateful for them. Could not do this show without them. Okay, so this is Mother's Day. I, I want to share a few Mother's Day things with you. First, I want to say, and this kind of segues from politics to Mother's Day, so there was this uh, big study that was trying to get at the people in the Midwest— you know, the people of the heartland America states that really gave Donald Trump his surprise victory and, and from which the left is still reeling. And they looked at these just kind of communities in um, Midwestern areas and tried to get at, you know, what what is it that made you go with Donald Trump? Because the left is always trying to say, you know, that Republicans stand for um, repealing Obamacare because we don't care about poor people. We don't care about, uh, you know, and we stand for strong borders because we are xenophobic and racist and we want to lower taxes because we only care about the rich. And all these just nasty, ugly narratives that the left has just regurgitated election after election. And they, they uh, persuade ignorant people, uninformed people. But, you know, Heartland America is made up of people who are still kind of, they, they still have that, that self-reliant, positive, upbeat, love my country, love America, know that America is a good country kind of feel. So when they, this study was done, trying to dig in and understand why did you vote for Donald Trump, 
the things that came back were so interesting, and they really verify kind of the culture of America that people want to get back to. Um, and so just to—I don't read the whole study because I want to tell you three really cool stories about Mother's Day, but— what the data really showed was the voters were alienated by the cultural myopia of Democrats. They have focused, and this is actually the way Ben Shapiro cap, uh, capsulated or summarized this um, study. He just said the cultural myopia of Democrats who focused on, you know, intersectionality, laden definition of American politics, labor, labeling straight white men as the bad guy and their bizarre morality play. He also talked about, um, you know, Clinton, Hillary Clinton, her campaign wheeled out celebrities such as Lena Dunham and Laverne Cox, who many people find offensive, and they deride flyover America as a bunch of Bible-thumping simpletons. Uh, they made Americans feel alienated from their own country, like they that they, they were seeing their views and values being mocked by the people Hillary chose to surround herself with. And Ben Shapiro goes on to say, people feel the culture is changing in the United States, not only due to the acidic effect of leftism, but due to the left's overt desire to change American culture through unfettered immigration without concern for assimilation. And his final point was people like workers in Ohio, they're not really that concerned about losing their jobs to illegal immigrants, but they are more concerned about losing their country to people coming from lands that do not share the basic values of America. So on that note about the Mother's Day just being the most among the most quintessential um, American holidays, um, there was a, a little blurb I was going to share with you first about just motherhood in general, uh, which is, I thought, kind of amazing. Um, beyond the gift-giving holiday of Christmas, um, Mother's Day ranks as a second in terms of pr- purchasing of presents and, and accounts for more than one-fourth of all flower purchases in the entire country for the entire year is from Mother's Day. I mean, it's just a sweet thing. It's an honoring of the notion of, of the value of motherhood. And, you know, even if you don't, um, if you aren't married, don't have children, almost everyone know either had a wonderful mother or knew a wonderful mother and mothers have all these qualities that you know america needs to nurture the next generation the qualities of mothers who you know they do instead they care for the children and and you know care for them and love on them and take care of them as babies and teach them but they also as kids get older mothers are you know the mothers allow the ones who instill values in their kids and and try to teach them what matters what's important and what's not you know my own household growing up we i was very blessed to have an intact family my mom and dad together but my um two best friends in high school had just problems in their families and to the point that wasn't really a good idea to live there anymore so they came and live with our family so my mother mothered you know, myself and my brother, my sister, and my two friends, and they actually lived with my family so long that in summer times, um, if I like off at college, I stayed up at college for a summer job, and they came and stayed at my parents' house anyway. I mean, the the mothering feeling of just caring for young people, wanting to nurture them, is, is a just instinctual in women. Women, it's a beautiful thing. Um, and then, and so I thought that was you know, just a kind of cool thing. And then I was just going to tell you uh, there was a book that is has come out, and it's by a woman. Um, her name is Krista Keating uh, Joseph. She is the mother of a Navy SEAL named Charles Keating the Fourth, who was killed in Iraq, I believe it was. Um, yep, he was a 31-year-old Navy SEAL shot and killed by an ISIS member in Iraq just about a year ago, right now, May 3rd, 2016. So she has a new book out called "Big Hearted Charlie Runs the Mile." 
and she was reading it in different schools. And she basically, she wrote this book about her son while he was still home growing up. He was kind of small for his age, and so but he wanted to do um, cross-country. And so he was, whatever it was, five, six or seven, kind of short when he was a ninth grader, wanted to run track, and the older kids, 11th and 12th grade, much taller, longer legs, much faster, but he kept it up and kept it up and kept it up and really wanted, and he had been running with his mother. She enjoyed running as a, as a hobby or a sport, and so and she would take him running when he was little, and she just talked, it was just kind of this family story they had in their home that she inspired this love of running, and he got into high school, and he just was not going to give up, even though he was, he had this great spirit about participating in the track events, but he didn't really have the, um, just the physical strength, agility, ability yet to be uh, a successful runner, but he kept it up, so during his high school years, his mom wrote this book, and um and so that's what it was written called Big Hearted Charlie Runs a Mile. And then when he died in Iraq a year ago now, pretty much right around now, um, she decided to publish that book in his memory. So the book is just a sweet story about, you know, keep trying, even though you're not the tallest kid, you're not the fastest kid, keep trying, you can do this. Um, so it was a great, um, just a great book. And I think it's, I think it's a children's book, but you, there were some news stories of her reading it out loud at, um, I guess, at children's public schools or something. Okay. I also was going to mention that Melania and uh, Donald Trump did a really cool thing today uh, in the White House for Mother's Day. Um, They hosted a military Mother's Day event in the East Room of the White House. Um, It might have been yet. No, I think it was today. Uh, And and, and they did it on Mother's Day. And so they basically had a huge room full of people. And they had um, it was to they hosted active duty troops and their spouses and their mothers at the White House for a celebration to mark Mother's Day weekend. And so um, anyway, actually, I take you know, I think it was on Friday. But anyway, they had a Mother's Day thing honoring the troops. So I love the Mother's Day. I'm, I'm a mom, but I, that's not why I love it. But I do love the whole because um, it's not just a holiday of, um, you know, just for moms, but it's kind of it's a larger sense of, of the American family being um, important and, and being important in shaping America's culture and shaping America's future and in being the um, you know, the uh, uh, nurturer of the next generation, not just to instill, you know, good manners and, you know, make sure they eat right and sleep right, but just the culture of, of America. And I've had this thought because this show, America Can We Talk, is really dedicated to the idea that, <clears throat> excuse me, it is the responsibility of every generation, every generation to hold on to America, to preserve America's unique, special place in the world where we Love liberty. We are countries founded on individual personal responsibility, individual liberty, rights that come from God. The entire structure of our country is based on ideas. It's not ethic. It's not racial. It's not. It is just ideas. And every generation has that job. And I do of just teaching, learning themselves clearly, and then teaching their children, their next generation, why America is unique, exceptional, important. For the world, because America is important for the rest of the world to have a place to look at and say, oh, that's what the, uh, the epitome, that's what life can be. We can be this free. And so this, you know, issues we've talked about tonight in the show, like talking about the Obamacare thing, you know, on the one hand, you can point to data and say, yeah, Obamacare is failing. Everybody can see that, you know, the insurance companies are pulling out. 
But it's not just that the system Obamacare is a failure, which it is. It's an abject failure. But the larger point is this idea that what Obamacare did, what other policies of the American left do when they want big government control, they work away at, they chip away at the fundamental culture of liberty in America. And this culture of liberty is profoundly important. It makes America exceptional. It is what the American people, even if they don't know why, it's it's among the things that make people love America. It's why immigrants want to come to America, have wanted to come to America since, you know, for hundreds of years, have wanted to come to America as a land of opportunity, a land of freedom, a a a place you can live your life, practice your religion, live your life your way. That's what America is. And And the issues we face in America, America, whether it's Obamacare repeal or not repealing it or, or doing something else, they always have a larger context to them. It's not enough to get smart about Obamacare and say we should get rid of this provision, but keep this provision, but change this and tweak this. It should have, it's a big, big issue in America, as many others are, it should have its roots in preserving American style liberty. And mothers and dads and everybody else involved with children, school teachers, all the way through these wacky college professors should be about preserving America, should be about the idea that your job and every generation of America is making sure the next generation really understands how America became great, why it's great. It was not a historical accident. It's not a fluke. It is profoundly and directly tied to the ideas that created America. And that's what I try to talk about in this show. That's why I talk about my website, which is americacanwetalk.org. I invite you to join our Facebook page. We are on Facebook. We're at America Can We Talk. We talk about the issues regularly tied back to the bigger ideas of preserving America. We also have a new studio hotline. I want to be sure to mention that again this week. Try to leave your message uh, one minute or less so I can air them. But the phone number for our studio hotline 24 hours a day is 214-556-5659. We love talking about the ideas that formed America, the ideas that keep America great. And we love talking to you each week. So I hope you tune every single week to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. And here on my show, we talk truth about America. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to AmericaCanWeTalk.org. America Can We Talk, truth about America. America.